Welcome to Positively Pro-Life, a podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Positively Pro-Life brings you inspirational stories, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm Bonnie Finnerty, Education Director at the Federation, and I am joined by my distinguished colleague, Maria Gallagher, our Legislative Director. Hey, Maria, this is a big week for us here at the Federation. Are you excited for our Celebrate Life Banquet on Friday? I am so excited. We're going to have Dr. Ben Carson. It's going to be a terrific event. Everybody should come. Uh, We're expecting more than a thousand people. So it's going to be quite impressive. Yeah, our biggest and our best banquet yet. I am so excited about it. Well, lately, we have seen much persecution of peaceful pro-life advocates at the hands of a weaponized Department of Justice. But such harassment is not new. Our guest today is someone who has paid a price for standing up for the unborn, but courageously stands undaunted. In 2019, Ashley Garrick was peacefully praying with her daughters outside the Philadelphia abortion mill that takes more lives than any other in Pennsylvania. They were approached, videotaped, and then doxxed by a man who harassed them for several minutes. And it wasn't just any man, it was a state representative named Brian Sims. Afterward, Ashley and her husband launched a crowdfunding campaign that raised over $125,000 for the Pro-Life Union of Philadelphia. She is here today to tell us her story and also to update us on another pro-life under, pro-lifer undergoing persecution, Mark Hauk, who was in the news recently for being arrested by a SWAT team. Ashley has organized a campaign for him and will update us on that. In addition, Maria will discuss the Pennsylvania Abortion Control Act. But first, we're going to have some inspiration. Now, right now, we are in the middle of the 40 Days for Life campaigns nationwide. They often run in the um, fall and in the spring. So last week, I decided to personally participate in this campaign and to go before our Planned Parenthood in our town here in Harrisburg and to offer some prayers for the women and the babies and anybody who is working there or involved in in that um, abortion center. So I went um, on a very rainy day and was met with a few other people from a wonderful group locally here in Harrisburg named Undefeated Courage. And they are um, regularly there praying and also offering counseling and compassion to women going in often offering them um, some material goods, some things to take with them. And they also welcome them to go into their van, which they have parked there for a free ultrasound. Um, And there's always a a nurse on hand to give them some information, information that they wouldn't be getting in the Planned Parenthood. So um, I was there uh, with these other um, wonderful counselors. We were all praying for these women and trying to make sure they knew that they had some other options and we were there to support those other options. And I began talking to one of the regular counselors there, sidewalk servants named Steve. Um, And Steve relayed a picture, a a story to me that I just wanted to share with everybody because I thought it was so beautiful. Um, Steve talked about a day when um, during the pandemic, it was a few years ago and everybody had their masks on, but he was still down there praying with his um, 
the other people in Undefeated Courage. And a woman actually parks her car and um, across the street and comes over and approaches Steve. Now, she says as she was driving down the road, she recognized his very distinctive hat and his trademark mustache. Um, two things that really make him stand out in a crowd. Um, and she remembers that hat because when she talked to him a few years before, he had these picture pins of his adopted grandchildren on the hat. And that really, you know, touched her. And he explained how his grandchildren's mother, birth mothers, um, had decided to, to choose life. And now he enjoyed these beautiful grandchildren. So when she had an appointment at Planned Parenthood a few years ago, she ended up having a conversation with Steve. And um, she wanted to come back that day and tell him and show him her beautiful twins that she now has. So she pulled out her phone and showed him a picture and um, sent it to him and thanked him for being there that day and just being someone that she could talk to and, and telling her that she didn't have to do this, that there were some other options. So now Steve has added to his, um, actually he wears this one on his vest close to his heart, um, a picture pin of her beautiful twin girl. So it was just such a beautiful story and it just goes to show what a difference a person can make um, being, being at just the right place and, and offering prayers and help to women just when they need it. So sometimes we don't always know the impact that we're having, but in this case, um, Steve learned of lives that he was able to help save. Um, so far in this fall campaign for 40 Days for Life, 145 lives have been saved since September 28th. And that's just since the beginning of this campaign. Um, so, and, and also on the national level, I just wanted to report that there's been 22,289 lives saved since 40 Days for Life has been started in 2007, over 22,000 lives. So we have to just keep doing what we're doing and remembering the encouraging words of Mother Teresa, God doesn't require us to succeed. He only requires that you try. So let's keep trying. Maria. Bonnie, thank you so much for that inspirational story. It was a landmark law, which was truly ahead of its time. It is the Pennsylvania Abortion Control Act, which was passed in 1989. The act formed the basis of the US Supreme Court decision known as Planned Parenthood versus Casey back in 1992. The high court upheld most of the provisions of the act and it went into effect in 1994. Once the Abortion Control Act went into effect, the number of abortions in Pennsylvania plummeted. In fact, abortion totals were cut in half. The law, which became a model for the rest of the nation, included parental consent, meaning that at least one parent had to provide permission for an abortion to be performed on a minor girl. The law also included informed consent, meaning that women must be told the risks of abortion and alternatives to abortion prior to an abortion taking place. The legislation also provided for a 24-hour waiting period for abortion, giving women time to reflect on their decisions. The law also protects babies at six months gestation or more, except to save the life of the mother. The measure also bans sex selection abortions. 
The Abortion Control Act, unfortunately, is now at risk because of a lawsuit filed in state court by the abortion industry. If the state Supreme Court declares a so-called right to abortion under the PA Constitution, the Abortion Control Act and its many protections could be eliminated. We know that pro-life laws save lives. That's why it's so important for us to defend good laws, such as the Abortion Control Act, which is saving lives every day. Bonnie. Thank you so much, Maria. Well, it's my pleasure to introduce today's guest. Ashley Garrick is a board member of the Pro-Life Union of Greater Philadelphia and a full-time homeschool mom. Before having children, Ashley worked as an aide in the White House and the U.S. Department of Commerce. On April 18, 2019, Ashley, her two daughters, and a friend were praying outside of Planned Parenthood in Philadelphia when they were harassed by State Representative Brian Sims. During that encounter, Sims filmed and posted a video on social media offering $100 in exchange for the identities of the three teenage girls. Several weeks later, this video went viral, leading to national and local media attention. In response to this incident, Ashley and her husband Joe launched a national crowdfunding campaign that raised over $125,000 to support the Pro-Life Union of Philadelphia. Ashley also appeared on Tucker Carlson Tonight, The Ingram Angle, local news programs, and talk radio to discuss the confrontation and had op-eds published in USA Today and the Philadelphia Inquirer. She now speaks publicly on issues regarding the sanctity of life and civil and religious liberties. Joe and Ashley live in the Philadelphia suburbs with their four children, and we are delighted that she could join us today. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Ashley, what led to your involvement in the pro-life cause? Mm -hmm. So I became a Christian in college, and that was the first time that I started to think about the abortion issue as opposed to just kind of parroting uh, what I heard in my community up until that point. And uh, was the first time I realized that if it is a human being, then that child has rights independent of the mother. And so through the process of my conversion to faith, I had a conversion on, the opinion, on my opinion about abortion and realized that, that um, it was our responsibility um, as Americans and as faithful Christians to protect life, even in, and I would say most importantly, in its most vulnerable stage. And so then the, the next question was what to do about that. And um, so I read Abby Johnson's book, Unplanned, um, mostly because I was intrigued by her story. And um, in that book, she talked about how effective people standing outside of clinics actually were, which was news to me because up until that point, I had four young children was driving all over the place. And I'd see people in front of the hospitals in our area and the abortion clinics um, standing outside praying. And I, my honest reaction was, what are you doing? This seems like such a waste of time. I, it doesn't seem uh, logical or reasonable to me that your presence is having any actual effect. Important to note, I didn't have an idea of what would be effective. I, I didn't have some alternative in mind. It just didn't seem to me from my layperson's perspective that that was going to do much. But Abby's book completely turned that idea upside down. 
And um, I had to believe her because she was speaking as somebody who'd been working inside the clinic for eight years. And so she uh, witnessed as a clinic director that people would not show up. People would come to the door, see people either receive counseling or just see people praying and walk away, not, not come for their abortion appointments. And um, she also talked about the emotional and spiritual impact that presence had on people inside the clinic, whether or not they wanted to admit it. And so I thought she was, uh, she was somebody that I needed to listen to. And so if she said that people standing, praying peacefully in front of clinics made a difference, then I had to accept that as true. And then there was, I had to be a part of that. I just felt the Lord saying that it was time for me to, to step into that space um, in trust and, and start praying for the unborn at this moment, this important moment. Um, really, you're standing in front of the gates of hell in many ways, but the, I just sense the Lord was telling me it was time to stand and be in that space. And so you had heard from Abby Johnson how important it was to pray in front of these abortion facilities. When you started praying in front of the abortion facilities, did what she said make sense to you then? So in the very beginning, I was just holding on to her words in faith because it's terrifying. It really is so nerve wracking to be in that space. And I've prayed at several different clinics in the suburbs, downtown, and um, you know, there's varying degrees of oppression, but it is just a hard place to be. You, um, you feel, I think physically, you feel the darkness of that space. So that's something you're battling. Um, you deal with hecklers, people who drive by and or walk by if you're downtown in Philadelphia, and they say terrible things to you. Um, they say terrible things to my children when they're with me. And um, that's not abuse that anybody wants to be a part of. So uh, many times in the beginning, I would just kind of recite in my head, you know, Abby Johnson said this makes a difference. So I'm going to just hold on to that. And I'm going to stand here and keep praying, even if it feels hard and uncomfortable, even if I don't have some what feels like a productive conversation with anybody. I'm just going to trust that this is making a difference. Um, and then over the course of my time standing in front of clinics, I've heard amazing stories from other people that have um, become another kind of pillar for me to hold on to little moments of encouragement that even if I don't see something happening, that I can trust the Holy Spirit's working in ways that I don't see in ways that I may never know about. Um, but I can trust that prayer is effective. Um, the other thing, if I could just add briefly, there's a reason why people get angry at, about us praying in front of clinics. And that's because they're acknowledging that there's an effect there. I don't know. I, I doubt that they would say it. They would call it, you know, harassment. But if our prayers were not efficacious, nobody would care that we were standing there. Right. So nobody would care as they drive down the street or walk down the street they wouldn't take the time to yell at us or try to knock down our signs. They'd just walk by because they would think it doesn't matter. But the fact that people react to us sometimes very strongly is further evidence, I think, that it matters, that it makes a difference. 
in whatever way. Um, and so we, we just trust the Lord will use it and we keep going. Ashley, the introduction alluded to the harassment that you and your daughter suffered at the hands of State Representative Brian Sims, but I'm wondering if you could just share the incident in your own words and talk about the effect it had on your family. Sure. So um, up until that point, I had prayed at the clinic downtown, but before I had only taken my children with me when I prayed in front of the um, Planned Parenthood in Westchester, which is a, a little bit of a quieter space. But this was Holy Thursday, 2019, and I thought it was an important thing to do with my teenage daughters as a prayerful act of service before we entered um, the Triduum services that night. And so um, I woke them up. I promised I would buy them a fancy coffee when we were done, and we drove downtown. Uh, and the older two girls, my oldest daughter and her best friend, had been to the March for Life just a couple months earlier in January. And so they had a little bit of a sense of what, what to expect. Um, and then my younger daughter kind of followed their lead. And so we prayed um, the rosary. We um, were just very calm and very quiet. We were kind of to the corner even of, of the facility, the entrance of the facility, very inconspicuous. And um, about 40 minutes into our time, uh, a man came up yelling right away. He just kind of, I would say he charged at us. He was yelling at us, pointing at the girls, um, telling them they should be ashamed of themselves, that they were um, racist Christians and they had no business being there. Very aggressive. And so in that moment, um, I, my, my first, my primary concern was to physically stand between him and the girls. Um, because he was really focused on them in, in a way that that was shocking to me even at that time. And I tried to, to explain we're here just praying peacefully. We're not looking for conflict. Um, and he was not convinced by anything I said. And he eventually walked away. And I thought that was the end of it. Um, and so we prayed for him, the girls and I. We prayed that um, he would, we, we prayed that we would, forgive him deeply from our heart and that he would come to understand the truth of, of what we were doing and what was going on in that facility. And we thought that was the end of it. As we were preparing to leave, we finished our, our hour. So about 15, 20 minutes later, the same man came back, but this time he was holding um, his phone up like a camera. And we could tell he was talking into the camera and filming us. So once again, I tried to stand in front of the girls um, tried to say, we're just here praying. And, um, you know, we believe that women deserve better for better than abortion. And um, he at that point pointed the phone right at the girls and um, said that he would give $100 to anybody who would provide their identities. Um, and so we were already in the process of leaving. I realized, I realized nothing productive was going to happen. And so we just continued our exit and left. Um, and so uh, I always feel like I have to be totally candid with people. My husband was very anxious about me taking the girls downtown that day. Um, I'm from San Diego. My husband was born and raised in the city. He is concerned. I don't have a full appreciation for the uh, spirit of what can happen downtown. And I had totally blown him off that morning. I said, I know what I'm doing. So as we were leaving, of course, I was unsettled by what had happened, but I was also thinking, I can't believe I have to go home and tell my husband he was right that yes, things got a little out of hand. It was not what I was expecting with the girls, but 
he was very gracious when we got home we told him what happened and he just wanted to make sure we were okay and we thought that was the end of it a few other friends who pray at that facility when i described the man physically they knew exactly who i was talking about because he yells at people praying in front of that facility all the time he's well known he was well known excuse me as somebody who um, would give the people praying a hard time then you fast forward about two weeks or so we were out to dinner with some friends and my husband's phone started blowing up and um, it was because that video that the gentleman had filmed had been picked up by live action um, he had also filmed himself harassing an older woman who had been praying there just a day or two before us and so they identified this man as state representative brian sims showed our video and the video of him harassing the other woman and um, it went viral in the most true sense of the word. Um, I think within 24 hours, our video had been viewed uh, over a million times. So that in that moment was when we realized that this was not just an angry citizen. This was actually an elected state legislator who um, had taken an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution and yet was offering um, money in exchange for my daughter's identities, which was um, now concerning on a different level because we realized that he had a much larger social media platform than we had realized. And now the story has gone national. So um, it, it created a new set of challenges and, and concerns for us as parents. But um, that's what happened. That's when everything blew up and we, we decided that evening that um, we wanted to try to make something positive come from it. And so we launched the online fundraiser and, and we're so grateful and blessed that people responded. Yeah, Ashley, so that, that was three years ago and here we are today watching the Department of Justice haul away yeah. peaceful, prayerful pro-lifers. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk to us a little bit about Mark Houck and what happened and what's going on with him? Sure. So I know Mark because he is the founder of an organization called the King's Men, which is um, a member organization of the Pro-Life Union, which is the organization that I work with. So I've known Mark for several years. He has prayed in front of the exact same downtown Planned Parenthood where I was with my girls for um, almost two decades. He's there every Wednesday for four hours praying for women, and he's a holy, prayerful, effective pro-life warrior in that spot. Just last year at our pro-life dinner, pro-life union dinner, actually, we featured a couple who met Mark and made the decision to, to not have an abortion and to give birth to their baby. They named her Navia, which is heaven spelled backwards. And they were very clear that the only reason they changed their mind was because they had um, an encounter with Mark and he just loved them and made sure that they had everything they needed through the entire course of, of the pregnancy. So um, that's Mark's background. Last October, he was there with his son. He's there often with his children and um, a Planned Parenthood escort who, again, is well known to our pro-life community as being incredibly aggressive, very um, antagonistic, says terrible things, things you would never say in, in company, especially in front of children. And he was yelling at Mark per usual, but he was particularly yelling at Mark's son. And so Mark and his son walked away. Um, this gentleman, Bruce Love is his name, walked after them and continued to yell right at Mark's son. 
And so Mark, as a father protecting his child, pushed Bruce away. He fell. I think he like scraped. Literally, it's a scrape on his hand. The medical report, I think, said he needed a Band-Aid. That was the extent of it. And um, so they, Bruce did try to file charges. And ultimately, the Philadelphia police and the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office agreed there were no charges to be filed because Mark was functioning as a father protecting his son from an aggressor. There were no people trying to enter the clinic at the time. They weren't even by the door to the building. And um, so once the DA um, refused to press charges and uh, nothing moved forward, Mark thought that that was the end of it. Over the summer, they received um, information from the Department of Justice that he was um, someone of interest. So he and his attorney uh, tried to contact the U.S. Attorney's Office, said they would come in voluntarily to have a conversation. They, I think Mark's attorney contacted them three or more times, no response until uh, this past month. The FBI showed up with 25 people at Mark's door and all seven of his children were in the house. They came in with guns and shields and um, it was just an unbelievable um, aberration of justice. It was such a, a you, you, when I heard the story that morning, I literally couldn't speak for a couple minutes because it was so beyond anything that I thought would ever happen in the United States. And um, I know Mark's family, he homeschools as well. So all seven kids were at home. It was a terrifying experience. And one of the agents, when his wife was saying, why are you here? Where's your warrant? One of the officers said to her, we're taking your husband with or without a warrant. So in their actions and in their words, they clearly just didn't care about the Constitution. They certainly didn't care about the Fourth Amendment. And so Mark was arrested, taken downtown, booked on charges, the FACE Act, and released later that day. Um, but he has been indicted. He has a federal indictment against him. And so just like we did in our circumstances, um, my husband and I launched a fundraiser because we knew that his family would need financial support for whatever they were going to be facing, whether that was just living expenses, legal expenses, whatever the situation. And Mark's story got incredible national attention, um, which also helped bring attention to the fundraiser, which we're so grateful for because Mark uh, supports his family by traveling and speaking. So that's how he generates revenues to support his family of nine. And under his indictment, he cannot travel. So he literally cannot do the work he's done for his entire adult life to support his family. So these funds really are critical to them um, so that while he's dealing with these charges, they can pay what, you know, whatever legal fees they're dealing with, and they also can support their family. And they've raised quite a bit of money, haven't they? Yeah, we're approaching $400,000, which is unbelievable. It's fantastic. Ashley Garrett, you are a pro-life powerhouse. It is so inspiring to be in your presence. And I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for all that you do for Precious Human Life and for appearing on the podcast today. Thank you. I, you're very kind to say so. I appreciate being with you. And I know you guys are doing amazing work. Thank you. Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. The Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is the largest single-issue pro-life organization in the Keystone State. Thank you for joining us, and remember there's always a reason to choose life.